Welcome in to another edition of the Roost Podcast. This is Matthew Bartlett at the mic tonight, director and managing editor at the Roost. I am going to be joined here by Hunter Bailey of the Charlotte Observer. We're going to be talking some Charlotte 49ers football. Carter's away this week, but should be back next week. And we're excited. This actually marks the end of our preseason previews for Rice's Conference foes. And the end of preseason means the start of football season, which is crazy enough. Rice will be having their their media days this coming weekend at time of recording. We will have our first scrimmage, which is going to be pretty pivotal. And then we'll have one more and then hopefully we'll have a starting quarterback perhaps and it'll be time to play usc so time is ticking a couple quick uh notes announcements before we get to that obviously i mentioned the scrimmage those are coming up those are going to be pretty important i talked with both offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator this week with with coach Tui and coach smith and just kind of laid out looked through the depth chart and talked about a couple key position battles those will both be up on the site this week if you haven't read through a lot of good information in there on on both fronts. I thought it was particularly interesting the influence that Coach Tui is going to have on the scheme and how that's going to play out. And then what sort of defensive front and kind of personnel packages Coach Smith is going to deploy on the other end. I think they've gotten to a point where the depth is really good across the board and they can do a lot of things and get creative. So if you're not a patron yet, Here's a plug, patreon.com slash at the roost. Go ahead and subscribe. And I was remiss. I wanted to mention this. So if you just go through and you read the positional previews, we got a post up about, you know, quarterback, wide receiver, tight end, D-line, linebacker, the whole nine yards. Uh, If you just go read through the position previews and then you just go read the camp practice reports, all of those, you subscribe, you get access to everything. Uh, all of those would be less than a dollar a day uh, for e- or a dollar per post in each of those that you could read uh, just through August leading up to the season. Use this as your trial run to decide whether or not you think this is stuff you want to be on board for. And then we have the season started out. So you got a couple weeks here and uh, I, this is your your offer for your test run. So wanted to plug that. And then that's all I have for now. We're going to jump right in to our interview. Hey, Hunter, how's it going? Man, it's going good. Appreciate you having me on. Uh, it's about that time, my friend. Just just booked travel for week zero and at Florida Atlantic, and I'm excited, man. We're what 17, 18 days away, something like that. Okay, and here's the here's the crazy thing that I think most you know peel back the curtain. Maybe most fans, you know, weren't intimately aware of how all the details work. But Rice had Conference USA media. Rice, everybody had Conference USA media. Uh, I got two two weeks now at time of recording, but it was also Charlotte's beginning of practice. So they it w- kind of walk us through the timeline of how that worked, because I know they had kind of an, a crazy day just getting to and from media day. Oh, yeah, I went out. That was the 27th, I think, day one of practice. It was 730 start, which is perfect for me. I have a full time job, so I had to be at my desk around 9, 930. And um, got out there, music was blaring, everyone was having a good time. 
And then you saw a couple slip away there late in practice. Go ahead and get to the showers. It's Vic Tucker, Marquis Watts, Reynolds, and then Healy all went to Concord Regional Airport, hopped on a little jet, flew down, did their media day. I think they came on 2.30 Central Time, 3.30 Eastern, and they got back on the little jet, flew back, and we're back at practice for the 9.30 practice uh, that Thursday. So it was definitely quite the day for them. Yeah, it, it was wild, and I personally – it was it was an interesting way kind of things progressed because you had most everybody a couple schools left early from from Arlington to go back. I know FAU did that. They they got on a jet and so did UTEP and flew home to practice that evening. But it was fun. We we had like a two hour gap and then we had the Charlotte contingent come up to close things out, which was kind of great because anyone who's not had a conversation with Will Healy. Like by the time you get to two o'clock after you've had six hours of of asking people about how they're in the best shape of their life, now it's going to be a great season, all that. You get Healy coming in and they're talking about uh, Maryland blue crab eating contest with Joey Chestnut <laughs> and just what what's it like covering that guy? Because he seems he seems like a character, but I get the sense that like that's actually who he is. Will is an interesting guy. He's a He's the first, he's, he has like this, okay? If you're talking to him in a room full of people, he can make it feel like it's just you two. He's got that type of mentality, that type of intensity almost. But at the same time, he's goofing around, cracking jokes, very hard on himself. And he'll make fun of himself, which lightens the room. You know what I'm saying? So cover, covering him, he's the type of walk around the, the media room before the press conference. He knows everyone's names. So he'll say hello. Great with the media. He's He's one of a kind, man. I'll say that. One of a kind. And I know he's been, he's had an interesting kind of tenure at Charlotte because he comes in from Austin P and is that hot, young, rising coach that's not going to be here long and is going to go off to bigger and better things and kind of has that, that debut season with Charlotte, goes to the Bahamas Bowl, starts club lit. I think Charlotte football won social media. In, in 2019, just across all landscapes, really. And then you have the 2020 season, which, you know, we don't need to, to dwell on and, and relive again. But Charlotte had some really tough luck when it came to COVID and cancellations. And so I almost want to kind of throw that year out with how we evaluate Healy. But, you know, after talking with him, I know he doesn't kind of want to use the, the COVID card to get out of things. What's kind of his his temperature uh, on the program right now and is kind of you know big picture as we start our conversation just the kind of ground level expectations that he has and that charlotte fans have for for what 2022 2022 is going to be i'll i'll start with the expectations that he has he he wants that first bowl win he wants another winning season they got two power five teams on the schedule he he He's tired of the firsts, you know what I'm saying? You have the first power five when you have the first bowl game, you have the first winning season. Now, I mean, he wants the first conference championship, first bowl win, stuff like that. But he's very interested in building a program and not just having a good season. And when you look at his resume at Charlotte, yeah, I think it's I think it's in the negatives. Obviously, the COVID year didn't help that, but they had the one good season, and he wants to elaborate on that, build the program to be better. In terms of the fans, I think 
I think there's some pressure on this year, man. And I'm not saying they go out and have a rough season that, that that's it for him or anything like that. Cause obviously he has a good hold on the, on the program, the fans, but there is that pressure to go. Okay. You started last year with the Duke game four and two start best starting program history. And then really, I mean, you, you watch the rice game, you know, that they had really no business winning that game. Could have, could have dropped six straights in the year and finished four and eight. They ultimately finished five and seven, losing five of their last six. And that really kind of changed things with the way that the defense looked, the way that really, even them on the sidelines late in the season, the energy wasn't the same. It was just like, it was a, it was a tough scene for Charlotte. And I, going into this year, they replaced the coaching staff, added over 80 years of coaching experience, which is which is wild. It's a young staff, but the defensive guys, they've done it. I mean, you've got Greg Brown, who's been coaching for 40 years. Brian Baker, I think, is like 38 years. These guys have been around, and they have the answers. So I think we're almost required at this point. So in terms of this temperature, I'd say it's mild to warm, but a solid season really cools that off. Yeah, the world we live in in college football of what have you done for me lately? Because it's interesting how you can get to, man, you lose those last three games. And I remember a couple years ago, Rice Rice goes three and nine, but they win their last three games and everybody's over the moon and everything's looking up. And <laughs> not all five and sevens maybe are created the same. I know there was some in, in Boca Raton that uh, they kind of went out on a similar similar uh, in note last year at FAU there were some frustrations but I think it's interesting with Charlotte and, and you mentioned the defense and and I think we have to start there just because of the questions that they have this was a unit that was I mean across the board just is not good there wasn't I mean maybe I'm misspeaking but I don't think there was anything that did particularly well last season and you take that and you you got the entire linebacking core, which had an argument to be one of the, I'd say probably top five linebacking cores in Conference USA last year, just because of, I mean, you talk about all-timers. These are guys that literally hold the Charlotte record for just about everything. They're all gone, and you got some new faces coming in. So kind of like what, what, obviously I think the defense has to go up from where it was last year. <laughs> How... How is, you're laughing. How is that going to happen? Who who are kind of the, you mentioned the coaching staff, who are kind of some pieces on the field that you've seen? Okay, I think this guy makes us better. This guy makes him better. Like, what what what's the picture for, and I'm not talking like that. I'm talking just better. Yeah. No, you're right, man. There, there's nowhere to go but up. There was, you look at the stats, there's not much you can, you can pick out. Like, I was looking through it the other day, writing something, and talking about the cornerback position and they really they bring back basically all the same corners from last year so obviously you're thinking okay for progression but then you're looking at that group and you're saying per attempt per opposing attempt they were giving up 9.66 yards so that's almost a first down even if you just decided to throw you don't you know like per completion almost 15 yards I think they gave up 14 career highs last year. Like there's there's nothing that you can look at and say like this was good or we can build on that. It was it was rough and they had to tear it all the way to the ground and they have. I will I will give them that. Watching these, 
I'd say I've seen five or six of their training camp practices so far, and they are completely different. I mean, we're talking multiple fronts, like even some bare fronts, stuff like that. Some single high safety looks, pre-snap motion on the defensive side of the ball. There's a lot that's a lot that's they're working in, and that's even progressed a lot from the spring. I remember talking to some of the players during the spring session, and they were like, "Man, we have two coverages. <laughs> this is all we got." Like we're they were building on the installs. They were all brand new. I mean, there's, I think there's five or six returning starters, but the new faces, there are quite a few. Uh, you're adding Amir Sadiq in from Central Michigan. I think he's going to pair well with Marquise Watts on the defensive end side. Linebackers, it's going to be, it's going to be brand new. Uh, I would say the stud in the room is probably Derek Boykins. He's a Concord, North Carolina native, so right up the road from Charlotte. Started his career at South Carolina, transferred in, and he, he struggled with some injuries last year. He was on track to be one of the starters, maybe even playing over guys like Justin Wisenhunt or Luke Martin, but dealt with some shin splints. Uh, I think it was actually a stress fracture or something like that. And that really kind of faltered the beginning of the season. But he's, he's come a long way, this training camp. And you've got this... They're, they're young, so I'll preface it with that. You have Cameron Burden, who redshirted last year, but he he's, he can find the ball. He gets downhill quick. And you have Chase Monroe transferred in from Wake Forest. That's what I would think that the linebacker room looks like for starters. Uh, and then moving to safety, you just added Wayne Jones from Kansas State. He's going to play a lot of ball for this team. And then on the pre-safety, you had Marcus Robitaille and Tank Robinson Robitaille went down at practice on Saturday it's to be determined what, what that means for his future. I'm not sure how serious the injury is, but the the depth in the secondary is, is very questionable. They can't afford many, if any injuries, especially at the cornerback position. That is, that's a major concern. They didn't add, they added Jordan Anderson from Lafayette college during the off season. But outside of that, the group is almost identical. And it's interesting, and I think this is something that, that I kind of think will set Healy apart just as a coach that I feel like coaches tend to stick with what they know and are like I, I can think of very few occasions where someone said, no, let's just blow it up and try again. Um, a lot of times it's because coaches don't have that amount of job security that someone's going to let them hit the reset button. Um, but it's interesting to hear that he has, and, you know, I think, especially early on non-conference play, there's, there's going to be some, some learning to be done, it sounds like, on that defense, but one part that I don't want to let slip under the radar, which I think, when I was going through my prep and just looking at Cost Conference USA, I want to talk about the front, because Marquise Watts was in media days, and he's a face that we've come to recognize uh, had a pretty good season last year. I think there's probably more from him. Uh, yeah, but this, these of all of the pieces, like I don't have to paint, I don't think too creative of a picture to think that the Charlotte front four in particular, uh, not only could be a strength of this defensive unit, but could be among the better fronts in Conference USA just from sheer experience and just talent. Like they have ability. It's just harnessing it, right? I'm 50-50 right now. I want to see more. I've seen the run defense 
improved drastically, which was really the Achilles heel last year. And I think bringing Brian Baker in, he's been all over the place, college football, coaching in the NFL, most recently defensive line coach for the Indianapolis Colts. He's coached players like Julius Peppers he's on staff at Alabama. Like he's, he's been around. And I think that the players really needed someone like that. And the front four right now, you, you mentioned Watts. I talked a little bit about Mir Sadiq. And the two interior guys, at least starting-wise, are Jalar Holly, Miami transfer, and then Miguel Jackson. Both of them are solid players. We just, in my opinion, for them to have one of the best front fours, they're going to need one of these interior guys to really become a problem and be able to get in their A and B gap and shut off this rushing attack from another team because they haven't had they haven't had that really since Larry Ogunjobi and the pass rush last year was a struggle Watts had I believe it was six sacks and that was up from the 2020 season but he still hasn't matched that nine and a half sacks yet I would say with with Sadiq on the other side they have options and then watch out for Tyson Clawson uh, he switched number 11 this year he'll definitely be a reserve but maybe like a third down, get after the quarterback type of guy. But I would say the depth is there, but there hasn't been like the, okay, they're in the conversation to be one of the best yet. I think that they have a long way to go uh, to really prove that, especially following last year. So where are you, where, where are you painting or where are you planting your flag on, on, on this defense? Now, I'm not saying how good are they going to be, but is there is there a player or a, a particular thing that you're like I don't they'll this will be good I don't know yeah. about the rest but what is the, t- tell me the bright spot about the Charlotte I think the, the safety position is going to be really good I say if Robitaille can get back they have Solomon Rogers back played a ton last year they have Tank Robinson he tore his bicep against Duke in the season opener. I believe he had like 77 tackles in the year prior at East Carolina. And they added Wayne Jones, who's played a ton in the Big 12 at Kansas State. I think that is the position. And then there's a young guy, Stephen Parker. He might not get a ton of burn this year, but he can play. I would say safety is probably the best. Like We have multiple guys that can get the job done. The defensive line, it, like I say, it could get to that point, but there's – there's a lot of a lot of proving to do on that side. I'll say that. Okay, and then I want to I want to shift back to the other side of the ball because, you know, we got to talk about Chris Reynolds. We got to talk about quarterback. But I, I got to tell you, I was going through and doing uh, as a part of my preview every year. I go through and I do an all conference team, and not not the conference USA office uh, all conference team where everybody gets a trophy and they have like six quarterbacks on the team I actually have to pick two which makes it challenging and I I wrote down Frank Harris at UTSA uh, because he won a conference championship and he's coming back and he was pretty good last year and then I got to second team all conference and I wrote Chris Reynolds question mark and then eventually I deleted the question mark because I could not think of anybody else in conference USA that had earned it but I guess I'm still on the fence. So what have you seen from Chris Reynolds a, a, as a quarterback? And then what's kind of the outlook on a guy who who came back for that extra season? And I know I talked to him two weeks ago. He has really high expectations and high hopes for what the offense can do. Yeah, Chris lives, sleeps, eats, dreams 
Charlotte football, football in general. So that no shock to me that he has the, the high expectations. Him and Chris Hugh look like they could be like brothers. Oh yeah, you can't tell who's the quarterback and coach. There, I mean, I think Jared tweet Jared Kalmas tweeted that. That was hilarious. But uh, expectations wise, Reynolds has been automatic. I mean, all the way through the spring into into fall camp, he he played one drive uh, on Saturday scrimmage, really in the first hour and a half, and first Paul first pass, fifty yard bomb to Grant Dubose down the sideline. He had to overthrow the second pass, then he hit Victor Tucker touchdown in the third. So it's just like you know, you know what you're gonna get. He's very consistent. He's healthy. He lost a little bit. He had put on, I think, ten pounds and. Going into last year, he cut a little bit of that off going into the season, I think for speed purposes maybe. But he's willing to pull the pull the ball down and run. He's healthy now, no more shoulder issues. Uh, you know what you're going to get. And then in my opinion, he has the best receiving room in the in the conference. I, miss, I mentioned DuBose. That's an NFL player, man. He's probably going to be the highest 49er ever drafted. So I'm going to be on record of that right now. 2022 Blitnikoff candidate watch list Victor Tucker 2020 candidate then you got Elijah Spencer Conference USA's freshman of the year last year they have an abundance of talent at the skill positions the offensive line depth can hold up if they can stay healthy up there there's no reason that this offense can't be the best in the conference in my opinion Ross, you got you got literal polar opposites here of a defense that we just don't know, but an offense that like has all the pieces. So I mean, I guess a lot of that, I mean, every too much credit and too much blame for the quarterback, right? Is Chris Reynolds or, or will Chris Reynolds be? I guess the question is, will he be that top tier quarterback? And because right now, like he's he's one of like it's it's him, it's uh. We got UTSA and at, at UTEP with Hardison. Those are the three guys with, that have actually like done it at any degree at their current school. So somebody else to step up. It always does. But but can can Chris Reynolds be? Because this is a guy like two years ago they had a transfer James Foster come in from A and M and it was like okay we got a real battle and Foster won. Can he can Foster be a top tier quarterback in this conference? Can James Foster be a top tier? Or Foster. Not Fo- yeah. Hopefully not Foster. <laughs> Sorry. Can Reynolds? Oh, um, yes. To Reynolds. Um, they, when James came in, there, I think there was a battle at the start, but I think you kind of knew Chris's leadership. And then going into last year, you thought it was Chris's last season. So he was the senior kind of knew he would get the reps and then there was a there's there's a gap and it's sizable when Reynolds is in there the offense is just like I say I said it earlier it's automatic you he knows where to get the ball he can get through his reads he can pull the ball down when needed there's like I said there's there's a gap between one and two um in my opinion I think Chris can definitely be that they're gonna have to you're going to have to continue to be creative with the offense. They had certain situations last year where they would go halves almost like sometimes three quarters without scoring. I think they're going to have to find ways when, when there is some kind of a lull or slump to 
get that offense, get a jolt in the offense. But in terms of can Chris Reynolds be one of the best quarterbacks in the conference? Absolutely. And I, it's it's interesting now kind of looking through because – and I I put Grant DeBose on my first team all-conference because I watched him play against Duke, and I was like – every year, you know, somebody falls to, like, D2 where they should not be, and you watch them play on a D1 level, and you're just like, <laughs> he's making people look silly. Grant DuBose is the real deal. I I might get behind you on that of, of him being NFL caliber. The story of him getting to Charlotte, uh, he came on the, the Highway to 49 podcast and told us, but I'll tell a little bit of it. It's just awesome. So you mentioned James Foster. Both of them are from Alabama, and James, James and Grant would get up and work out. And every time James Foster would call Mark Carney, Charlotte's offensive coordinator, and say, hey, man, I've got this receiver for you. You need to bring him up. You need to let him try out. This dude can play. He does this repeatedly, repeatedly. Six months later, DuBose gets a call. Hey, come to Charlotte. It's like during the, the tryout period. I think the NCAA held after COVID. Um, Charlotte had some power five receivers to be able to come in. And then they had, they had Grant. Grant ran three routes. A dig, a curl, and a go ball. And Mark Carney was throwing throwing these balls. And on the go ball, Grant laid out for the catch, reeled it in, and they said, pack it up. You got the scholarship. Welcome to Charlotte. First day of practice, a couple months later, he's out here dogging people immediately. I'm like, who is this guy? Because he wasn't on the spring ball. He's not even on the roster right now. But he's talking the talk and he's backing it up see it just continue like holy crap this dude can play but no one knows about him and then going into the Duke game when he was at miles college he had 10 catches 108 yards and a touchdown over the full season and then the Duke game i think it was like eight or nine catches 115 yards two scores like just right just like that and then going through I mean, obviously had a solid season. I think it was like 892 yards going into this this spring. And, man, over these past few weeks, what he is doing to the Charlotte cornerbacks is just wrong. Like, the, it's repeatedly like it doesn't matter who the quarterback is. Whoever's throwing the ball, he's going to get it. doesn't matter how many people are on him or where it's at. Like, this dude, is he's on another level. It's It's like wild to watch. Like, it's almost hard to watch what the corners are doing because he's so good. These are fun and and it's interesting just I think it's fun because you know when you're when you're covering this team that you know I, it's no skin on me if if Rice wins or loses. My job is easier if Rice wins <laughs> because everybody's happier and the coaches are happier and people people get to talk but it, every once in a while you get to watch somebody that you're like you, you you put the pen and paper down and you forget what you're writing or whatever story you're doing or what notes you're taking because you just ogle and you're just like, what did he just do? Yeah. That's fun. I'm in I'm all in. I'm booking my seat. If there's room for a non Charlotte person on the Grant DeBose train, sign me up. Yep. And and this the crazy thing is, like, I don't feel like we were quite this high on Victor Tucker two years ago, but Victor Tucker is a, I mean, he's an all-conference receiver. Like, yeah. he is great, very different kind of playmaker. But I feel like 
man, shoot, it might not matter how good of a quarterback you have if you have both of those guys. Um, and you mentioned, you know, freshman of the year <laughs> coming in for for support. It, it do you kind of like are you drinking the Kool Aid yet to where this offense can be good enough to compensate for the other side of the ball? Uh, that's a that's a great question. Honestly, I'm gonna say no because the defense just has to be better. You can't give up 34 points a game and expect to win. I mean, I think the offense could score between 30 and 32 points a game. And I just think if if you're, I mean, like take the take the last game of the season last year, for example, Charlotte played at Old Dominion, and it was. When I go home, both teams were five or six or five and six. You had to win to make the bowl game. I remember talking to a former player before that game. He was like, we're going to score 28 to 35 points. It's just about if the defense gives up double. Final score of the game, 34 to 56. I mean, it, I mean, it's just there was there was no it didn't matter what they were doing on offense because you can't score every possession. And I mean, you can't. It, put the pressure on them to score every possession. And so, in my opinion, no, it can't compensate if it's that bad. Would they still have a shot to get, like, five or six wins? Like, maybe. But the de- the defense, for them to win seven games, the defense has to cut at least five points off that average of 34, you know, allowing 34 points last year. They can't, they can't do that again. Okay, and we'll, we'll, we'll I, I do want to hit a couple on the offense before you. I had to ask because it's interesting. You watch in, in college football today, I feel like we've almost split into, you know, you have the, the coaches who are like, we're going to play great offense and great defense. And then you have the coaches who are like, I don't care. Like, score points. It's fun, fun to watch. <laughs> and then if you have Bailey Zappi at the helm and, you know, you have everybody there. Shoot, you can score 60. And if you can score 60, it doesn't really matter how good your defense is. Yeah, no. I mean, I haven't been asked that question yet, so that's a great question. We'll see. And I'm here to make you think a little bit. And you mentioned a little bit. Um, I want to talk a little bit because I know the passing game. Well, maybe I don't know. I, I feel pretty comfortable that the passing game is going to be just fine with how they're at, with, with, with Reynolds, his experience, even if he just gets a little bit better with his, his decision-making uh, on, on third down and crunch time, I think you make a couple tweaks to his game. There's more there, and I think he's up there. What I want to know is, is with the running game, because I feel like going into the season, it, it, we kind of did this thing where – Okay, he he can carry the load, and or maybe it's this guy, and you, you kind of got some production, and and you got Shadrick Bird coming back, you got Calvin Camp coming back, but and I think we're past the world of especially in college football where one guy's gonna have 250 carries and 10 touchdowns, unless you're Bajon Robinson or something. But you know what what does the running game look like for Charlotte? Because I I, I, I speaking from somebody who covers Rice. If you can run the football, you can hide a suspect defense by taking five, six, seven minutes off the game. Oh yeah, um, the running the running game is the same exact faces of last year. Literally everyone is back. They 
Calvin Camp, Chadwick Burge, Siobhan McEachern, Henry Rutledge, who got some carries late in the season. That group is, there's a bunch of guys, but you, you're kind of right of like, there's not like the guy of like, okay, we know that Calvin Camp is going to get 20 carries and he's going for 100 yards. Last year, Charlotte had one one running back to break 100 yards. It was Camp against Middle Tennessee. And they need they need more of that. I mean, you had Benny LeMay here for so long, and he was just automatic. You knew there was a great chance if he got 15 carries that he was he was 100 yards and a touchdown, maybe two. So they don't they don't really have that. And I think especially in 2019, that helped take some of that pressure off Chris Reynolds because you knew you could turn around and hand the ball off, and you were setting yourself up in second and manageable or a first down. And like I say they don't have like that guy but they have a lot of different skill sets in the backfield out of out of the three and four that i just mentioned i love shabon mckeetron's game he's they use him as a change of pace back oftentimes but anytime the ball is in his hands there's you're moving the sticks you're setting yourself up in good position so i would like to see him get some more run this year and Shadrick Bird is just, I mean, he's a hes a game changer for them, especially in the kicking game. They're going to need him to continue to do that this season. But in terms of, in terms of the run game, I think they might be more of a pass-first offense this season. And so we'll, we'll see kind of how the run develops and if someone really becomes like, all right, this is third down, we know who we're giving the ball to. Yeah, and I think we've seen in, in recent years, like, Gotta run the football in key moments when you have to, but if, if you can't run the football or you don't you're not really making a dent, like it's interesting. I remember talking with uh Rick Stockson, middle Tennessee head coach at, at Media Days, because the, the middle running game has been wobegone for for a long time. Unless it's the quarterback, like Asher O'Hara, Chase Cunningham, both both have wheels and they can move around, but they're just running backs are like sub two hundred and fifty yards for the season. Like it's ridiculous. So it's one of those things I'm curious to see what Healy does because if if they can't get it going and you have the weapons they do, like I'd be okay running 12 to 15 times a game and just airing it out. Not many people have a, what, fifth-year quarterback? Feels like he's been there. Uh, he's sixth-year, fifth, fifth as the starter. So what a time. Yeah, I'm I'm starting to lose count of how long people have been here. Like folks at Rice are literally completing master's degrees and starting on another. Ridiculous. Um, last group we haven't chatted too much about. I want to talk about the offensive line because these are the folks that, you know, I feel like nobody ever really talks about until it's not good. And then everybody's wondering what happened to the offensive line. Uh, I think, you know, you mentioned some good and bad from those guys up front. I know that uh, Charlotte, like everybody is, is replacing a couple guys it feels like up front. So it's one of those that you don't really feel like you don't really know until live bullets are flying because especially if you're not sure about the defense and if they're losing in practice, is, is it good for the offense or bad? Or what's kind of your early reads on how the new pieces are gelling and does this line look like it can be service enough a service? serviceable enough to get the ball to DeBose and Tucker. Definitely. Um, I'll start with 
you mentioned some of the holes they have to fill. They lost Hunter Kelly, Chaboy Zinawana, both declared. And then they lost Demetri Emanuel, who was probably the leader of the offensive line. He went to Florida State, reunited with Alex Atkins, Charlotte's old offensive coordinator from the 2019 season. As far as the returnees, the, the first group, it's been left tackle, Jackson Hughes, left guard, Panda Askew, Ashton Gist is back at center. Right guard, the position they have to fill is John Jacobs. Uh, he's actually an Arizona transfer, came in in the 2020 season, and he he's torn both of his ACLs, I think, like multiple times. So he used to be a tackle. He's playing guard now because his mobility isn't as great. Can't cover his far playing tackles, so I think him being at guard is going to be helpful. And then right tackle, you have TJ Moore. Um, the depth does get a little dicey, and that that's kind of the main thing. They added two Power 5 transfers, uh, one from Pittsburgh, Michael Statham Jr., and one from Rutgers, Matt Rosso. Statham Jr. is a mammoth of a human being, six foot seven, 400 pounds. I mean, this dude is literally like one of the biggest people I've ever seen in my life. He hasn't cracked the first or second team rotations yet. He's got to work on kind of his, his footwork, his mobility. But Rosso has definitely been solid backing up left tackle Jackson Hughes. And then, like I say, then it gets kind of dicey after that. You've got Arabian Muslim is back. You've got – there's quite a few that really have to prove themselves. So, so as, as I think I mentioned earlier, like you – They've got to stay healthy. You lose one or two of those, it really gets dicey. But as far as the, the starting five goes, I think they'll they'll do okay, and they can definitely get the ball to Tucker, Dubose, Spencer, and give Reynolds Reynolds enough time. I think Reynolds is probably at his best when he's on the move. So for them, maybe it's not so bad <laughs> that he's getting out of the pocket. But you know, we'll, we'll see. He is as the scrimmages go and as we get closer to week zero. Okay. And I want to ask you one, one last thing and, and then we'll do a, a quick little lightning round game to close things out. But I did want to ask you about the schedule because I was going through and I like to kind of get my, my menu set for the year, especially in non-conference play. Cause the last couple years, uh, we talked about the Charlotte win over Duke, UTSA beat Illinois. Uh, there's just, how are five schools in Conference USA have created some very interesting games over the past couple of years? And, and I circled the Maryland game with Charlotte because I don't think Maryland's going to be very good. Nobody else seems to think that they're going to be very good. Uh, at least, you know, they're probably closer to the Duke tier than South Carolina will be, which are uh, both on the Charlotte schedule. But Charlotte, I don't know how, how they're doing this, but gets uh gets Maryland at home, which not many not often that you get a, a Big Ten team. Charlotte or Maryland's still in the Big Ten, right? I mean even track <laughs> conference affiliation to this point. But uh you know that 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 game aside, I, I'm sure there will be a lot of focus on that. You got William and Mary before, so uh lead up into that. But kinda how do you kind of project the the beginning of this season and, and how important is it for them, just confidence-wise, to, you know, we talked about how they ended last year. You open up at FAU. That's going to be a hard game. How important is it going to be to kind of put together some good performances, especially, you know, some of those question marks we talked about, so that they can get past non-conference play and really feel like, okay, this 
we we got something here. We have a proof of concept. Definitely. So you're looking at looking at the first five games in Boca Raton playing Florida Atlantic. I'm home for William and Mary, home for Maryland, at Georgia State, at South Carolina. I think to really give this group confidence and keep the fan base in it, I think you have to start two and three. And I know that's not even really a, a great start to the season, but when you're looking at that, you can circle William and Mary. That should be a win. I think you got to beat either FAU or Georgia State. Now, you mentioned Maryland. That's a, I mean, Charlotte is undefeated against Power Five teams at home. So, I mean, you're looking at that. You're glad that's a home <laughs> game. But you, in my opinion, you can't circle that one and say, this is a, this is a win. Obviously, the, I mean, the players and staff, they may feel a little bit different, but I think, I think that's going to be a good game. Charlotte could definitely pull that off. I mean, they were competitive three, three quarters at Illinois last year. They got the win over Duke. In my opinion, this team is better than last year, especially on paper. Um, I think if you can get out of that first five, two and three, then you're setting yourself up for the rest of the conference slate. I mean, you, you, you know how Conference USA is any given week, man, <laughs> any, any given week. So it's just, if they can, if they can get out of there two and three, I think the seven and five, six and six, both of those are attainable. But if they start one and four losing at Florida Atlantic, losing at Georgia state, losing at home to Maryland and then at South Carolina, I mean, that's just tough to recover from, but and I know this is a long-winded answer. We talked about 2019 early in this, and that being the first winning season. I mean, they were two and five, and they were seconds from being two and six and having lost five games in a row that year before the North Texas miracle where Reynolds hit Vic Tucker in the back of the end zone. Like, I mean, that the team was that close to starting two and six. So I think things can change in a hurry, especially in Conference USA, but – I think two and three, three and two, if you're if you're feeling great, I think that's a much better start than one and four. I think that keeps the confidence up and really keeps the fans interested. I think that's that's the biggest part. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Something I always say about about conference USA, and I guess it'll be interesting making the uh jump to the to the American, but CUSA is interesting in that the, the margin between the top and the bottom is so slim. And when I was going through preseason, just the media poll and trying to pick out, I was like, okay, well, I know UAB, UTSA, and Western are going to be really good. And I was like, okay, I don't see a world where FIU or Louisiana Tech are going to be any good. Sorry for fans of school listening to this. I was like, everybody else from North Texas to Rice to Charlotte in that, I'm like, shake them up. Somebody's going to be four and eight. Somebody's going to be eight and four. I don't know. <laughs> all of, these are all five and uh, five and seven, six and six teams on paper, and something weird is going to happen because that is the conference. That feels about right. That's the thing with Charlotte. I mean, they're playing at UAB. I know, I know Bill Clark is gone, but that's, that's still UAB. Uh, they closed the season with Louisiana Tech. They have FIU at home. Those should be. We wins. They're headed to Rice this year. I really, I mean, 
Charlotte hasn't beaten FAU since 2018 when Jonathan Cruz hit a 56-yard kick to keep Lane Kiffin and the Owls out of bowl contention. That was that was Lane Kiffin's last game. This was pre-Will Healy area, area era. And then you have, I mean, Florida Atlantic ran right past him 2019, caught up to him in 2020, beat him late in that game, and then just absolutely dogged him last year. So it's just kind of you don't you don't know, but if they can find a way to win that game, win that week zero game, potentially beat William and Mary, start two and zero. I think you feel you're on top of the world if you're Charlotte. But those, like I said, those first five, those are dicey. So we'll we'll definitely see why they play the game, right? Yeah, <laughs> I I will see. Well, uh, run everybody through this before we get them out. So kind of just rapid fire, call it the lightning round. Just your initial thoughts. A couple softballs in here. A couple questions that maybe I hope make you think a little bit. So just kind of gut reactions. Uh, we have not told you or prepped you for this, so you just got to do your best. You got it. All right. right. So, offense. Who leads the team in touchdowns? Debose. All right. Uh, other side of the ball. Who leads the team in sacks? Watts. All right. He needs double digits. A little digits. bit trickier. Double digits. I, I mean, that's that his down? claim. He needs that. I'm. A, I'm. I have no say in it, but he. I mean, that's that would be huge for him. Yes. If I had a dollar for every player that told me that they were having a personal career best for setting a record, like just in the time, like the week and a half Rice has been doing fall camp, like I could probably retire. <laughs> <laughs> Watch is good though. It could happen. That, that, that wouldn't shock me. Um, a little bit different or a little bit more challenging. So who won't be a preseason all conference selection this year, but probably should be? I would say Ashton Gist. I'm not sure if he made the preseason all-conference list. Center, he may have, but he's he's one of those guys that sneaky, but can definitely definitely make a lot of plays. He played guard a lot last year with Hunter Kelly at center. Now he's moving to his true position. Uh, before he transferred to Charlotte, he was the number one center in JUCO, and uh, he can play. So definitely watch out for him. Okay, going a little bit younger. Uh, rookie of the year. Out of the conference or from Charlotte? From Charlotte. Ooh, rookie of the year. I'm going to hit you with a random one then. Uh, Reed Williford is a linebacker. This kid, at practice today, he had two picks. He's flying around the ball. He might not start, especially early in the year, but that kid can play. And he is he's going to be really good at Charlotte. So Reed Williford, number, he's number 40. Watch out for him. I love this. I we I, we've kind of done through and, and done variations of kind of this game throughout the past couple years. And I remember last year um, talking with Jared Kalmus, who you mentioned earlier about UTSA. I said, "Give me somebody off the radar who's just going to be a stud that nobody's ever heard of." And he said, uh, "I want you to look at the uh, third string tight end, Oscar Cardenas." I'm like, I have no idea who this guy is, and then becomes All Conference selection at tight end. Oh, yeah. I'm not just saying you spoke it into existence, but maybe. Hey, I haven't even had a conversation with this guy yet. He's a uh, media day is, is Thursday, so I'll definitely be talking to him. So 
you drop this before then you might you might beat a story but that's that's it he's the one all right a Bruce pod fame all right going on uh team mvp for charlotte in 2022 feel free reynolds or debose that's definitely going to be one of those two you really think that uh the wide receiver can outdo his uh quarterback in uh Noteworthy of it is. Yeah, you probably got to go with Reynolds. Man, he's just, I I feel like this is turning into a Grant DuBose fan page right now, but the dude is just ridiculous. But I mean, one, the knock on Reynolds for forever was the, oh, he's 5'10 or whatever, and he can't throw the deep ball, but the deep ball is coming along, and uh, number 14 is going to get it. So either way, it's one of those two guys. Hey, I'm all in. All right, a uh, couple more. Uh, conference finish for Charlotte this year. This is a top-tier team, a bottom-tier, or middle? Let's say upper-middle. i say the ceiling is maybe third, second. But could also go down the drain quick. So I would say upper-middle, upper-working upper class, you know what I'm saying? Something like that. Which is which is kind of code for maybe we have very little idea of what this team is going to be. <laughs> Bingo. The defense, kicker battle, there's offensive line questions. It's we didn't talk about the kicker battle? We can we can talk about the kicker battle, man. I've got you give us a thirty second snippet on why we need to care about the Charlotte kicking game. Rice didn't have one last year. We need a kicker battle. So Charlotte had Jonathan Cruz for four years. He was a 70% kicker, hit from 50-plus multiple times, had a game winner. He's out. He went to Ole Miss. Coming in, you have five-star Coles kicker, Braden McAllister. Young guy, looks like a almost like a middle schooler. I saw him, and I was like, whoa, I forgot what freshman in college looked like. Uh, biggest leg on the team, can hit from 60. Mildly inconsistent, that's what they're working on. They want his accuracy up. Got a Texas, not Texas, Tennessee State transfer, Antonio Zeta. First two years in school, 80, 80% kicker. Last year, he was a 40% kicker, so that's kind of suspect. He's been the more consistent, and they're going to battle with Aiden LaRosse, who's a returning freshman, kind of a do-it-all guy, can do kickoffs, field goals, punting. Uh, right now, I would say Zeta is probably the most sure-legged of the three, but I think that they really want Ray McAllister to be the guy. Yeah. The freshman. So we'll see. Okay, this is what you need. You you need to. You don't need to know the kicker. Then all of a sudden, you need to know the kicker. It so matters. It <laughs> now, now everyone knows. Okay. Uh, aside, closing out. Two more. Uh, your pick. Who's going to win the conference this year? I think it's hard not to ride with UTSA. I mean, you talked about Frank Harris coming back. I think a lot of the Sakari Franklin's back. A lot of guys on the defense there. They're solid. I'm going to probably ride with them again. I can't hate it. I went there too. All right. And then the year is 2024. More specifically, it is September of 2024. The 2024 season is about to kick off or just has. Is Will Healy the head coach of the Charlotte 49ers? Yes. Probably. I would say unless the wheels just fall off <laughs> than they are. Yes. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I don't, okay. So this is the thing. I mean, if you count the COVID season, then you're looking at two, 
negative seasons, losing seasons in a row. And if you follow up with the third, like I say, if the wheels just fall off, then I think there's a question. But if you look at the Charlotte 49ers men's basketball program, Ron Sanchez is their head coach, and they have struggled for a while. And he's back for another year. I, I don't imagine Will Healy is, I mean, first winning season, first power five win. These are things you want for a growing program that's going into its 10th year. But like I say, yes, unless all hell breaks loose and it's just, it's a tough scene. So I'm going to go with yes. Final answer. I like it. I like asking this question, especially at, at the CUS le- CUSA level, because it's such a mix of, you know, we ask this to folks at UTSA and it's like, they're not afraid of, afraid of Jeff Trailer getting fired, but is somebody easy? Is Texas going to come calling or something like that? It's just an interesting mix. And it, like the melting pot of coaches we haven't, like we have the 300 year vet, veterans in Rick Stocksville, and then we have the Will Healy's, who I feel like may, started coaching last week. I know that's not true, but much younger <laughs> on the perspective. Spectrum. Well, that that's the thing with Will Healy is. We talked about the six-year guys. I mean, you take the COVID year out of this. Chris Reynolds is gone. Vic Tucker is gone. A lot of these guys that are back are gone. And then this team is really dicey because we talked about James Foster earlier and then the third-string quarterback is Xavier Williams. And, and neither one of these guys are ready to like really step in and take over a team. And so then, then you're looking at it like, Oof, can this team win three, four games? So it's it's they're getting blessed by having a lot of the Brad Lambert guys back. Like I say, Calvin Camp, Reynolds, Tucker, even some of the guys on the defensive side of the ball like Marquise Watts. But yes, I think he will be the, the head coach going into 2024, first year in the American. Yeah. Interesting times. We and y- y'all uh Charlotte is coming along with Rice. It's been interesting as we've gone. Uh, back and forth, and we will have plenty of time to talk about American. We, we won't get there today, but it's been interesting, kind of say, making our goodbyes or, or, or you know, high fiving through the air of welcome to the new club, uh, club lit slash AAC edition. So I uh, I do want to thank you for coming on. It's it's always fun to. I mean, people can hear my thoughts on on any of these programs whenever they want. They can go pick up the preview, but I, I and you help me kind of put things together. It's just so much. It's better to get somebody who lives and breathes it, and we can go talk about the intricacies of a kicker battle. I talked to Dana Dimmel about fullback recruiting. Like, this is what you need to know. So, uh, for folks who want to pay attention to Charlotte and who aren't following you already, how can they follow you, you, and, and your work, and, and what's on on doc on on the docket for you? Uh, as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, we got T minus a, a countable number of days until we get to game one. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, follow me on Twitter. I always feel weird saying this, but it's Hunter Bailey or Hunter underscore Bailey 45. Um, I write, like I said, for the Charlotte Observer, I'm the host of the Highway 49 podcast. We have a lot of different players, coaches, former players, some NFL guys come on. So definitely, definitely tune in. We're wrapping up for the season. Content is content's getting primed, and it's about that time, my friend. I'm ready. We're here to help people scratch that edge, Connor. You need football. Like, it's time. And it's the beautiful time because it's not like end of September where your hopes and expectations may have already been crushed. 
it's the lead up to it where it's it's all rosy and you only see the good. Amen. We try. All right. Well, we will close out. Thank you all uh, for listening and, and following along with us. Thank you, Hunter, again for joining us. Uh, until next week, we'll get back. We'll talk some some rice camp reports. We will get into uh, maybe a quarterback battle if we don't have an answer there or not. Who knows? There's always something going on in the world of Conference USA and Rice football. But for now, we'll sign out and see you next week. Rice fight. This show was edited and produced by Carter Spires. It features music from Joseph McDade.